0: Like I was saying, we are in our Revelation series today. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter three? That is where we're going to be starting off this morning. Uh, now, as we've been going through, we've been looking at these different um, churches. Uh, in Revelation, we've been looking at, at what God has sent these letters to these churches in revelations, and that's kind of where we're starting. Remember, we we we've done Ephesus, we did Smyrna, we did Pergamon. we did Thyatira uh, already. We've done those four, but remember, he's. He, John is on this island of Patmos, that's where he's writing this from, and there he's ma- these letters will make their way all the way around. So we've made our way here. Today we're going to go Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So those are the ones that we're going to be at, and that's all in chapter 3, so that's where we are at. Now, as we've been looking at these churches, we've been looking and trying to kind of unearth what is the, what's the spirit of each of these churches? We're talking about what's the ethos, what is the character, what are the, what's the makeup of these churches, and understand, um, to understand maybe what, is going on in our own ethos, in our own character, in our own church. And it's, he's writing to these, to these different churches about that. And, and one of the things that I love that you see in every single one of these is you see this line that is in there. And he says, I know your deeds. I know you. This is one of the things that's just amazing, is the same God that speaks the stars and the planets into existence knows his church. He knows all of Knowles. He understands us. He gets what's going on here. He understands what's going on at the bridge. He gets what's going on at Valley Bible. He understands all of the different churches. He gets us, and he understands us, and he knows us. And so what's interesting is we look at these letters today, how he is writing very specifically to each church. And there are intricate details that are not random. You read them, you're like, these are interesting metaphors. They are very specific and and, and central to each of these churches. So as we've got our Bibles, why don't you guys open up your Bibles and uh, turn to chapter 3, verse 1 is where we're going to start at. And I am going to pull out my glasses. Why don't you stand with me today as we read God's Word. Revelations chapter 3. Starting with verse 1, and we'll make our way from there. So here we go. To the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished. In the sight of my God, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know uh, what time I will come for you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sewed their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will be, oh, excuse me, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father God, today, as we dig into your word, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us ears to hear what you have to say to us here at Olive Knowles. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So as with each of these churches, this first church we're starting with is the church of Sardis. And one of the things we have to understand is as we look at this, context is important. It's important for us to understand what's going on in these churches, what the things are going on, because it will help us understand why in the world God would send these words and this letter to this particular church and why he would say this. So understanding who Sardis is, Sardis was a very, very prosperous city. But at this time now had seen better days. So at one point they were really prosperous, but they've seen better days. But they had a reputation. They had, they were, was this reputation all the places, being this church that was alive, that was hopping, that was, that was just just moving and, and thriving. But the truth is, well, as he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He said, listen, I know that everybody else out there looks at you, church in Sardis, and I know they see you and they think, oh, my goodness, that's just this amazing church. They're thriving. They're alive. Things are going And goes, but I know the real you. I know what you're projecting to be, but I know who the real you is. And the real you is actually you're dead. So wake up is what he says. I want you to wake up, church. Come on. This is what you got to do. Outwardly, they looked like this church that was alive and that was thriving. Have you ever looked at churches from the outside? It's uh, it's awesome. You see some churches like man. Have you ever seen a church You're like man? I wish I was going to that church. Oh, I wish I was that church. Oh, that church like it's got everything. They're hopping. They got all these activities. They're busy. They're doing this. Oh, we got this thing and this thing and you are like oh man. It would be like it'd be like that. But when you actually got there, you realize oh it's just activity. It's just religious activity that they're caught up in that they're they're moving about doing the, they're frantically going around but really inside they are lacking spiritual health and power. strength. He's calling this church out on this because this is what they're lacking. What happened is is they'd been so successful that they had gotten to a place where they were now just kind of coasting on their past successes rather than continuing to move forward in God. So the spirit in Sardis was a spirit of apathetic faith. This is what had happened. This is where they were at. This is where he's getting at them. They had come to a place where as a church they just kind of were going through the motions. They lacked interest. They really weren't that concerned about what God was doing. Uh, They they lacked any enthusiasm or passion now for it. They were just kind of telling stories about things that happened way back when. And everybody else knew those stories. So it gave them the idea, the perception that everything was on track. But in fact it wasn't. Which then, as we're looking at this, remember, we're asking, okay, so what if God was to write a letter to the church here in all of Knowles, what would he write? Would he look at us? Could the same be said of us? Are we a church that's become apathetic in our faith? Is, is that kind of where we are at? I mean, all of Knowles has a reputation, I actually knew about Olive Knowles way before I came to Olive Knolls. Did you know that I actually interviewed to be the youth pastor here at Olive Knolls like eight years before I ever came here? And I was turned down. Yeah, Rob Songer. Anyways, all that to say, <laughs> I knew about this church, though. So I knew. And can I tell you, when I was considering, when we were looking and praying about what God wants to do, the reputation of this church actually was one of the reasons why I came here. This place had a church of being. This had a reputation of being a strong church. It had a reputation of being a healthy church. It had a reputation of being a church that was very, very clear about their theology. It, this was a church that, that was solid and it was alive. And that was one of the things that attracted me. That I was excited to become and be a part of when I got here. But have we come? At, have we become apathetic? Do we just talk about the things that God did way back when here at Olive Knolls? Or can we talk about the things that God's doing right now at Olive Knolls? I'll tell you this. From my perspective, now having been here for nine years, um, can I tell you? This church is alive and is passionate. And there's a passion that I have seen over the last nine years, okay, for kids and students and children. I have seen you guys pour in time and energy and money. You have supported the students. As a youth pastor, I saw you guys go above and beyond to send a very, very clear message to our students and say, You matter. I love you. We're going to invest in you. We believe that God's got great stuff for you. We want. We love you. That was the message that I saw over and over and over again. And God's been moving and moving in the lives of our students and in our children. It's so much fun to watch Pastor Kaylee walk around here, not only with the church, but also in the school. You see her walk by, she would disrupt any class. She walks by and the kids, oh, Pastor Kaylee, Pastor Kaylee. It's fantastic. We're impacting lives. This is not apathy. We are moving forward. I see it in the compassion that this church has for our community, not just the community here within our body and our church, but the community that surrounds us. We are constantly going out, 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 out meeting needs. Caring about people, loving people, going above and beyond to try to help to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. I've seen faithfulness over and over again to giving. The generosity of this church is amazing. When there are needs, this church steps up. I love that. Can I tell you 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 can tell something about your spiritual health by your giving? This is a church that's not just gripping onto its thing and just, mm, I love it. It's fantastic. And talk about expansion and growth and going. Look at what's happening in all those Christian schools. It is like bigger than it's ever been. Our reach is going along. And I love being around on this campus during the week, seeing the, everything from the flag football, the cheerleaders going on, kids with PE, people running around, all the kids over here. But it, it's, you can hear there are lives that are being impacted with the gospel. And we didn't stay and hunker down and just keep being this one size. Now we've expanded and expanded, and it's continuing to go. That's not apathy. That's a church that is alive. But can I warn us and challenge us to make sure that we maintain that momentum? We cannot stop moving forward. We have to continue. We cannot stop. We cannot become apathetic in our faith. But what's interesting is the way that apathy creeps into a church is through individuals that become apathetic. And bit by bit, that's what creeps in. It can undermine the church, which means we need to stop and ask ourselves that question. Have I become apathetic in my faith? Have I, am, am I, do I come in here on a Sunday morning and do I put on the good face and project that I'm a thriving, alive Christian when in fact inside I'm dead? I come in here on Sunday and everybody's like, oh, faith, saint, alive. But really I'm just trying to make sure that nobody can see that I'm dead inside. That I play the game, that I put on the mask, that I walk in and people, are, how are you doing? I'm good. And I tell about all the great things, but I'm not connected with anybody ever sharing my deepest parts. My, 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 I'm, I'm not really being vulnerable with anybody. I'm not allowing God to, to, to creep into those weakness areas. That really is what we're here to do together. Have you become apathetic in your faith? The message here from God to this church is the same that message he would give to us. If you're apathetic in your faith, wake up. I love He says, remember what you've received and heard and repent. Remember what you've received. Remember when you heard the good news, that there was a God who loved you, that, that, that by grace through faith you could be saved, that your sins could be forgiven, that you could give a new life and hope that is not only for now but for eternity. Remember that? Turn away from your apathy. And turn into a vibrant relationship with God. This is where we're at. And one thing that we need to remember is that God has the ability to make even dead churches and people come alive again. He's in the business of breathing life back into broken marriages, into broken lives, into broken people. I love it. Tell another place that we're not apathetic. I love it. You come here hanging on a CR night on a Friday night, and you hear the testimonies of the way that God's moving right now telling you there's no one that is so dead that can't come back if we don't repent if we will turn to him he can breathe life into you today there is no church that he cannot breathe life into there is no person he cannot breathe life into so i don't know what you've been playing or what you've been projecting but God's calling us to a reality of not an apathetic faith, but a vibrant, actual, thriving, life-changing, world-changing, church-changing, community-changing life in Him. All right, so that's the first church. Let's go to the second church. Philadelphia, Revelations, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. We're going to pick up with verse 7 now. To the angel... Of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And I want you to underline that in your Bibles because he's using some words here. He keeps talking about keys and doors and open and shut. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. This is important. This has to do with context. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, but they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep... From, uh, keep you from the hour of, your, of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of this earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name God of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Underline that as well. That's key. Uh, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right. So here we are. We're now in Philadelphia. One of the thing about Philadelphia. Philadelphia was known as Little Athens. Okay. So when the Greeks were in charge, Philadelphia was this hub of being able to spread Greek. Uh, philosophy, Greek culture to the area. And then when the Romans take over, which kept a lot of Greek stuff, continued to use that as this. So this was a very influential center of, uh, of business and, and, and of spreading of culture. But in the midst of that, you had this church in Philadelphia that was facing these obstacles. They had so many obstacles they were coming across, one of which was they were shut out of synagogue worship by the Jews. Okay. The doors, as the doors were closed to them. They were not allowed to come in. They were kind of excommunicated. They weren't allowed to go in there and, um, and worship. And the Jews were aggressively hostile towards the church. Uh, in fact, they claimed that Israel, the Jews, were the only ones, okay, that had access to the door of God's kingdom. Which is why you hear him writing these things like, I am the one that holds the key of David. I open, the doors that I open, no one can shut. He's encouraging his church saying, listen, I know you've been kicked out. I know they won't let you come to the synagogue and worship. But guess what? I'm the one that has the key. No one will shut you out. I'm the one that, has this, that wants to be in this relationship with you. I love how he continue to say this over and over again. No, no, you can't shut me out. You know, we live in a culture right now that is increasingly trying to shut down the church. And trying to shut down our ability to worship. And can I tell you the same words are true. He still holds the key. And what he opens, no one can shut. So when things start to encroach, we don't have to be afraid. They don't hold the key. He holds the key. So encourages the church with this. And that uh, even though they've been shut out of the synagogue, he's going to open the door. He's opened the doors. The second thing is they experienced political and financial weakness. They really didn't have a whole lot of political uh, power and influence in that culture and in that community. It was such a, a, a hotbed that it, they just really didn't have any of that. They also didn't have very fi- much financial weakness. They didn't have a lot of money. They weren't a very rich church or anything like that. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of this lack of influence, in the midst, in midst of all that, what did they do? They endured. Even in the midst of that, I don't have everything that I need to do this as a church. But he's like, but they leaned in on God. They leaned into their faith and trusted him even when they were weak. The next thing and uh, the last obstacle that they faced was they were persecuted by not only the Jews, but they were also persecuted by the Romans. So here you have this church. Uh, and here you have Philadelphia, which was little Athens. Well, then the Romans get in charge, and a guy by the name of Caesar becomes the leader. And what happens is he actually goes into this city, and he changes the name from Philadelphia to Caesarea, which means New Caesar or Young Caesar. So he actually names the city after himself. He writes his name on that city. And so you can imagine if you're writing your name on that city, there are places right there where they can go in and worship Caesar. And there's this cultic worship that would take place in there. And as this cultic worship is going to Caesar that's in there, this church is saying, "Mm -mm, no, we're not going to worship that. I know that's what everybody else is doing. I know that's what culture is telling me to do. I know that's what what we're supposed to do if we want to fit in and get along. Uh Uh-uh. They refuse it. So what comes from that? Heavy amounts of persecution. Which is why in this letter... God writes them and says, listen, he talks about I'm going to write you my name on this church. I will write on them the name of my God. He's like, oh, I know Caesar wrote his name on that city. Guess what? I'm writing my name on you. And he's talking very specifically. So imagine you're reading this. You're like, oh, that's us. Oh, that's us. Oh, and this encouragement. And he was continually encouraging them to endure and to endure. And through it all, that's what they commended for. The spirit of Philadelphia was a spirit of patient endurance or endurance. A spirit of patience and endurance. John encourages the church in Philadelphia to be strong, to continue to endure in this hour of trial that is coming. Which makes you ask the question, so how are they able to endure? With all this pressure, with all this persecution, with all these obstacles, how in the world were they able to maintain and endure through it all? And I think one of the things that that allowed them to do that was, was simply this. They saw their obstacles as opportunities to trust in God. When the obstacles came and they were faced with adversity, and these obstacles, they didn't use it to get discouraged and to quit and give up and close the doors. No, what they did was they saw it as, well, here we go. It's an opportunity for us to see God work in a new way because in our weakness, we can't do anything but, oh, watch what God does. They saw their, their, their obstacles as opportunities to trust God. Um, Dr. Scott Daniels said this in his book. He said, With a spirit of patient endurance, they looked at their obstacles through the power of Christ. Not the power of themselves, the power of Christ. Do you hear that? They looked at their world. They looked at their obstacles through the power of Christ as open doors of opportunity for building the kingdom and extending the gospel. They weren't reasons to shrink back or to pull back or to close shop or to give up or to just sit and complain. No, these were opportunities. So now we had to really lean into their faith and go, okay, God, what are we going to do now? All right, so this is different. What are we going to do? This is an opportunity God, guide, and they had to lean into that, and I absolutely love it. And the question would be, could this be said of us? How do we deal with the obstacles that we face? Olive Do we? How do we see those obstacles? How do we respond to, to shifts in culture? How do we, 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 we respond to shifts in political uh, climate or the economics that we, we are dealing with? Or changing of cultural norms. How do we, what do we do with that? Do we endure? Do we continue to pursue our mission? Well, let's look. I mean, I can't go back too far. I would love to, it would be fun to go back and go all, and I've heard some of the stories of, of the obstacles that we've faced over the years, as all knows. But in just the last nine years that I've been here, we've faced a lot of obstacles. We've had some internal obstacles that we faced, and we've had some external obstacles that we faced. We've had internal obstacles, like we've had relational stuff that we had to deal with. We've had transitions during this time that we've had to deal with. We'd have financial stuff that we've had to deal with during this time. We've had external stuff. Well, remember COVID, right? Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Get vaccinated. Don't get vaccinated. we had some political division that we had. I mean, during all these times, what did we do? Did we close up shop? Did we give up? Did we ever stop? Did we ever stop preaching the gospel? No, we never stopped proclaiming the word. We never stopped, even when we couldn't come here all together at the first. we're, we're, we're literally—I still remember—with Alan, and there was just a few of us. And I remember because Darren was gone, and I was now the interim taking charge. And of course, you become the interim. What happens? Oh, COVID hits. The whole world goes into a new direction that you've never been before. Oh, this will be a hoot. So what do we do? We had to get creative. We had to get creative. We had to figure out how can we continue to do this? How can we continue to preach the word? How can we continue to encourage the body? How can we continue to do this? And we did this. We made all these changes. And then Kevin comes here in the middle of it. And we continue to make changes. We couldn't meet together. What we do? We met outside. We social distance. some of us. The huggers can never social distance, so that kept happening. But regardless, what happened? I watched us endure. I watched us adapt. I watched us make decisions. I watched Kevin lead us and make choices that, quite frankly, no one was going to be okay with. Because there were going to be some people say that is not conservative enough, and other people say that is way too conservative. No matter what he did, there were going to be people that are upset. But we kept going forward to keep proclaiming the gospel. We kept preaching the word. We kept reaching out. We kept making phone calls. We kept going. We never compromised the gospel even once. And we have some people that have left this congregation because we didn't preach the gospel they wanted. Can I tell you? We will never compromise the gospel here at All of Knolls. It's not going to happen. But in order for us to do this, we need to make sure that we continue to see those obstacles as opportunities. They have to be opportunities, and we have to be able to lean into this idea that there's new ways for us to go out, and that the ways that we've been reaching out, that there's whole new levels and new ways that we can reach people, because it's worth reaching people with. And we need to endure in the midst of that. Can I tell you one cool fact about this church? Of all the seven churches, okay, okay, This was probably the weakest of all the seven churches. This was the church that endured and stayed the longest of all the seven churches that the letters were written to. Longest existing church. I love it. Love it. All right, let's go. Last one here. Yes, the church of Laodicea is the the last one. that's starting up in verse 14. If you got your Bibles, open up to verse 14. We're in Laodicea. So here we go. To the angel, the church and Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He's making statements here to set this up. Remember who I am. I'm the one that's in charge of everything. I'm the one that created everything. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. Sound familiar? Famous one, right? This is the famous one. I know your deeds. You are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. Underline that. That's key here. Underline that. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched Pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. All right. So this is loaded with fantastic, very specific comments. These weren't random statements. He knew where they were at. So here's the Laodicea facts. Here's a lowdown on them. Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities of the day. Okay, They were one of the leading banking centers, which means they were incredibly wealthy and had a lot of gold that would have been flowing through that place. They were so wealthy that even when Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake and the Senate came and they offered earthquake relief to try to help them rebuild the city, they refused the Senate's help and just rebuilt the city and financed it themselves. That's how rich they were. Okay. These guys had a lot of money and they were proud and they were very much self-sufficient in it, which is why when God comes along and says, hey, you think you're wealthy, but you need to buy gold from me. And they'd have been thinking, wait, wait, buy gold from you. Why do I need gold from you? we got plenty of gold. And they're still thinking of bricks of gold. They're just thinking thinking the, the, that, the, the tangible stuff that's right in front of them. They're not thinking about their spiritual lives. Okay, then he goes on. And another thing about uh, Laodicea is they actually were world-renowned for having this glossy black linen. And they would create all these cloaks and different clothes. And they were just well-known and obviously uh well-known and renowned for having those things. And so then Jesus, so then in this letter, here you get this letter that's coming along saying, hey, you need to buy white clothes for me, as opposed to the black clothes that you have. You need to get the white clothes for me to close your nakedness. And they'd been thinking, wait, we've got an industry that clothes are, we're not naked, what's going on? And then he goes on, and guess another fact that we know about about, um, about Laodicea is they had a medical school there that produced Chlorium, which is famous for, guess what? It's an eye salve to help you see. And so then he comes and he says, you need to buy a salve for me. And they're like, wait, we've got our own salve. We're like cutting edge on this stuff. We've got what we need. So we don't and for, to take care of our blindness. And you can see that he is attacking them and going after them and accusing them right in the very areas that they had put their faith. You see, they took great pride in their self-sufficiency. We got this we've got our linens we have got our gold we've got our wealth we have got our ISAB. we are the we are it we don't need anything the spirit of laodicea oh man. the spirit of laodicea was self-sufficiency that was their spirit in there it was a spirit of self-sufficiency their self-sufficiency they they all they did was they relied they, they relied on themselves and they took great pride in this. And that's exactly where this letter is directed and addressed at, was this spirit of self-sufficiency. And their self-sufficiency had rendered them lukewarm. Which, by the way, is that's, that's code for you've rendered yourself useless. Because another fact about Laodicea was they had no fresh water source. So what happens is, is they would have to pipe in um, Cold, excuse me, hot water, there was a hot spring in Heropolis about seven miles away, and they would pipe it in seven miles from this aqueduct that they, with all their wealth and riches, built. And then they had no cold water source, and so there was a very cold stream, uh, 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 cold springs were up there, and they in, um, oh gosh, where was that at? That was in Colossae. Okay, they had a cold springs there, and so they piped it in from 11 miles away into the city, and guess what? By the time the hot water got to the city of Laodicea and the cold water got to the, cold, to the, the city of Laodicea, guess what? It is lukewarm. Now, the hot water is great because what? You can clean things with it. You can bathe with it. You can make coffee with it. It's awesome, okay? Um, but then you also had this cold water, which is refreshing. And by the time these waters hit them, it was lukewarm. And you know what they wanted to do with their water? Spit it out. Because it's useless. I can't use it to be refreshed and to be, you know, uh, to be hydrated with. I can't use it over here to, to, um, to, to wash things. It's useless to me. And he goes, you know how you think about your water? That's how I think about you. You become so self-sufficient. You have stopped putting your faith in me and you're trusting what you can do. And what you can do, although you may be able to list your accolades that are well encouraged and well recognized by the culture you live in, what you don't realize is you're absolutely pitiful, wretched, blind, poor, naked. You don't even realize what you don't know because you've stopped looking to me. And what you can do is limited and finite. But what I want to do through you, you are unfinished. What I want to do through you, what I still have for you, church, is I want to do amazing, great things. But the only way we can do that, you've got to walk by faith. You've got to put your trust in me. You have to turn away from there your self-sufficiency and turn and walk with me, and then you will experience real life. Could this be us? Could this be said of us? Are we a church that's become self-sufficient? I mean, look at this. I mean, look at us. Look around. I mean, this is a good-looking bunch right here, right? We're gifted. We're very talented. We're ingenuitive. We're resourceful. We're blessed. We have the ability to do a lot of things, right? I mean, our worship team, our tech team, everything we got going on, we even have donuts in the back. We're resourceful. I think of all of the things that I've been reading through this, this is one that, that, that could be a problem for us. Not that it is, but it could be because we're so talented. So we have to ask ourselves, have we become a place that's become self-sufficient? For Laodicea, their, their stuff, their, their, their wealth, their, their material, their financial strength, all of that was something that was a temptation that just drew them into making a statement. We don't need anything. Can you imagine coming here on a Sunday morning? Can you imagine here if our church board or if Pastor Kevin says, guys, you know what? We're good. We, got, we don't need anything. We got this. Come on. Let's just go do this. Let's go. You'd be like, are you kidding me, right? The truth is, the more we got, this is terrible English. I apologize to all the teachers out there that are like, who typed this? The more we got, the easier it is to slip into self-sufficiency. That's why when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I got to do? And he tells him, all that stuff that, that you love, that you've been putting your faith in, all that stuff that you trust to get you by, all those, I want you to give it all away and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Why? Because that's what, his put his, that's what he'd put his faith in. That's what he was trusting in, and he could not let go. He couldn't believe that God would have something even greater, that God could provide, that God would put new ways and new uh, new horizons in front of him. He didn't trust him. It's easier, for sure. Probably the biggest threat of all these. But can I tell you, I love Pastor Kevin's vision. And I love his leadership in this church. Because he does what? He challenges us, doesn't he? He pushes us. He doesn't allow us to stay, to, to, to stay still and stagnant in what we're doing. He's constantly challenging us to move forward, not into doing the things that all of Knowles can do, but, but that we would lean into and begin to do the things that only God can do through and with all of Knowles. That's where we need to be. That's where we know. I mean, that's why we have faith promise coming up. That's why we have our, our missions week and we have faith promise. We're going to talk about leaning on faith. He's constantly pushing us out there and it's uncomfortable sometimes, right? There's sometimes you're like, oh man, I was getting comfortable. I like that last series or, or I like that. I, you're going to change things again? You're going to push us? Yeah. It's been constant. Can I tell you, I've sat in staff meetings where there are times when he'll lob something out there. I'm like, what are you thinking? That's not going to work. And then I, and then, only for a few months later to go, oh, it worked. He's leading us by faith. We need to continue to follow in faith. I'm so tempted to say and boldly go where only God you know, has gone before or something like that. But <laughs> I will not do that. So, I love it. Listen, in some ways, this letter to Laodicea is the harshest of any of the seven letters. But this letter to Laodicea, while it's harsh, it also is filled with hope. And I love how this ends, this one to Laodicea ends, because I think not only does it apply to Laodicea, I think it applies to all seven of the churches, just as a reminder to them in verse 19. And this is what it says it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, church, I pray we have ears to hear what has been talked about. To these churches. Because the challenge of this is to look and say, okay, if he was to write a letter to us, would he glean some of the stuff from these letters that we've read? What would apply to us? It's interesting. He says this. He rebukes and disciplines us because he loves us and because he hasn't given up on us. Aren't you glad for that? I'm so grateful for God's love that isn't dependent on my knucklehead responses to the world and It's this perfect love that draws me in and challenges me to be better. He does these things because he loves us and he hasn't given up on us. You may have given up on us. There have been people that have given up on us. God hasn't given up on us. We are unfinished. He still has work to do here at all of Knowles church. He has not done. I love Love, love listening to Rusty and, and the stories of the things that God has done here in the past because it inspires us to see that God's fingerprints have been on this church. But I also love hearing Pastor Kyle come back and talk what's happened at camp and Kaylee talk about him baptizing kids like we're going to do in a couple weeks. I love it when we see what God's doing right now, when we see the doors of the school just bursting up and when we see kids running around making noise in between services, when we see God's fingerprints. God's not done with us. He hasn't given up on us. It means he hasn't given up on you. Have you given up on you? Because God hasn't given up on you. You may look at your situation, where you're at. You may look at the death kind of heart that you have inside, the heart and heart that's there. And you're just here out of just kind of rhythm. And you're just here today and you're sitting here and like, this doesn't apply to me. He says, there's no way. Oh, our, our God's still in the business of breathing life. and Changing and Transforming. And helping us become the people that he's always created us to be. To help us become the church he has always called us to be. He hasn't given up on us. I pray that we have ears to hear this. Because Jesus is calling us out of self-sufficiency and into a deeper spiritual effectiveness. Jesus is calling us out of death and into life that is to the absolute fullest He's calling us to endure the obstacles that come before us and for us to see those obstacles as opportunities to see him work in brand new ways. He is calling us out and he is rebuking us and disciplining us because he loves us and he hasn't given up. He is calling us today to a vibrant, passionate life as a church that is alive in him. He stands at the door and he's knocking. He's saying, Church man, let me in. And if we'll open the door, he will come and be with us. He wants to be with us. Lord, I want to see you. Guess what? He's moving. We just got to get out of the way and let him do his thing. And then recognize what he's got going on. Band's going to come out. And we're going to sing one last song here. And, and as we come out and sing this one last song, um, The way that this apathy, the way that the church falls is from within. Usually it's not external things that take a church down. It's an internal thing, which means we have to stop and look at ourselves. And today as we sing this last song, I just want to invite you, and whether you're at home or whether you're here in the building today, I just want you to ask yourselves, we need to check ourselves. If he was writing this church to us, if he was writing this church, do any of these things apply to me? Is there something in me that I need to shore up so that I can help strengthen this church? God has you here on purpose. You are not at all of Noel's Church of the Nazarene on accident. God has brought you here through these doors. And he doesn't want you to sit and consume. He doesn't want you to sit and watch. He wants you to be a part. He wants you to be the church. Which means we have to stop and look at ourselves, and this can be painful and uncomfortable, but to look at ourselves and go, okay, God, so what is it that you want to do in me so that you can do a work in us? Is there an area in your life that have you become apathetic? Are you just going through the motions? Do you come here? Do you, do you have this? Do you project something when really inside you know you're dead? God wants to breathe life into you today, into all of us today. Uh, is there something in your life that you're having to endure? Is there some trials or something that you're going through that you are having to Are there obstacles that are in your way right now? And you're looking at them and you're feeling just, de- de- just defeated and you're feeling overwhelmed. And you're like thinking, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give up. Is there some obstacle today that you need to see as that opportunity for God to work in a way that only God can do? Come on, that's our lives, isn't it? Think about your life. Your life in Christ is one that was made possible by something that only he could do. He brought you out of, he's brought you two things that you could not muster on your own. Today, do you need to lean into that and lean into your faith in the midst of it all? Are you self-sufficient? Are you sitting around and just going, I don't need anything. I hear you talking about God this and God that and the Holy Spirit and moving, but... I'm good, my bank account's great, I've got the house, car, I can make the payments, my kids are good, everything, health's fine, everything's good right now. I don't need anything. Are you at a place today where you're just kind of self-sufficient? Maybe it's even accidental self-sufficiency. You just operate. You just think about how am I going to approach this? How am I going to attack this? How am I going to overcome this? And you just cut him out of the equation. Oh, he's calling you back into a deeper faith. A spiritual walk with Him, where every day, every moment, from the moment that you wake up until the moment you go to bed, you are living life, relying on Him. That's where He's calling us. Don't settle for anything else. Today, as we sing this last song, if you want to come, I don't know where you're at or what you got going on. If you're at home, know where you're at. But I encourage you to come. The altars are open. Let's ask God to do in us, to show us, reveal in us, to move in us the way he wanted to move in these churches. Let's sing.